There's a lot happening in our world today. Now, here are the current statistics. Globally, we've just hit over, this week, we've hit over 2 million cases of coronavirus. 2 million. 145,000 plus deaths globally, and that number continues to grow. In Australia, we've just hit over 6,500 cases of coronavirus, and I think we're up to 68 deaths just in Australia. Not only that, we've seen thousands of companies and businesses close, millions of people around the world out of a job, out of an income. We've seen schools close down, childcare centers closed down, and people in just lockdown. And while all this is happening around us, while all these major, major things are happening around us, many of us in this world are asking the question, where is God? Where is God in all this? God, why are you letting this happen? You know, for so many of us, our plans for 2020 were completely different, including myself. No one thought that we would be in the state we are right now. No one planned for this. And so we ask ourselves, God, I had all these plans this year. What happened, God? Where are you? People are dying. God, why? People are losing their jobs and their incomes. Are you sure you're with us? Are you sure it's, this is what's meant to be? Are you sure you're still a good God? And it puts us in a place of doubt. We've been going through the Gospel of John and last weekend with um, Easter, we saw the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we saw him appear to Mary and then the rest of his uh, disciples. But this kind of state of confusion and uncertainty would have been the same for the disciples. See, they left everything that they had to follow Jesus for three years because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Well, that's what Jesus told them. They followed Jesus around during his ministry. They themselves were ministered to. And then they, they, they believed that Jesus was meant to be the triumphant king, the one that would return, the Messiah, the one that would save them, save them from evil, save them from the oppression from the Roman Empire. But after three years traveling with, with Jesus, the triumphant king was not triumphant, but died, died on a cross, a criminal's death. At this point, the disciples scattered and went their own ways. And they would have sat and, and asked themselves the same question. Was this meant to happen? Was this meant to be part of the plan? Like, what's going on here? I left everything to follow him and then he died. That's not what was meant to happen. And what does this mean for me? I believed in this man. What does it mean? It would have put the disciples in a place of doubt. Now, as most of you would know, um, I love definition. So let's start with the definition of doubt. 
Doubt is defined to be uncertain about, to call into question the truth of, or to hesitate to believe. To help us understand this word, ask yourself, what is the opposite to doubt? What's the opposite to doubt? It's words like assurance. It's words like confidence. It's words like certainty. Doubt is something that we all have in our lives. And depending on what it is, depending on how big it is, it changes the way we think, changes our behavior and our attitude. Doubt seems like a little thing, but is quite powerful and not always in a good way. As said last week, as we celebrated Easter, Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified on the cross, died and was buried, and with that, uh, he paid the penalty for our sin. But on the third day, he rose again to conquer death and gave us a way to eternal life. We saw last week that Jesus revealed himself to Mary and then to the disciples, but what we find out is not all the disciples were there. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up, but they will come out on the screen as well. Let's read John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now what an introduction to Thomas. Now Thomas has been one of Jesus' disciples. And sadly, Thomas has a nickname that has carried through all of history since the time of Jesus, and that is Doubting Thomas. And we all know someone in our circles that we think would be the Doubting Thomas. If you don't know who it is in your circle of friends, it's probably you. Thomas has told, his, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first turned up. So all the other disciples saw Jesus. And so when Thomas turns up, the other disciples tell Thomas, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. And Thomas fails to believe this. And he says, unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. Now for many of us, we think of Thomas and we think, Thomas, how could you? How could you not believe? But we need to understand the context of Thomas. It said Thomas was one of Jesus' 12 disciples who had been with Jesus for three years, eating together, sleeping together, walking together, roaming together. He, he watched Jesus do amazing things for three years. He listened to Jesus as Jesus told him he was the Messiah. He was the chosen one that he was the one that was going to save them. But then Thomas saw Jesus arrested and crucified. Thomas saw his friend on the cross 
his Lord on the cross. And that would have caused so much heartache and trauma. Not only that, three days later, when they went to the tomb, the tomb was empty and the body was gone. And the most logical explanation was that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. One theologian comments that the reason why Thomas wasn't there that first time when, the, when Jesus appeared to the disciples was that Thomas was still out trying to find the body of Jesus. Thomas is a man that is heartbroken, confused, maybe even angry. So when he says, I'll believe it when I see it, we see that it's a response, not out of pride or spite, but actually a response from a deep hurt, deep desire and longing for Jesus. Think about this. With everything happening in this world, if someone came and said to you, hey, coronavirus has been dealt with. Hey, it's all over now. Hey, we can get back to life. Would you believe it? Would you automatically just celebrate and get on with life? I think for the most of us, we would be like Thomas. And we would have our doubts. I'll believe it when I see it. Doubt that has been created by past experience, by current situation, and uncertainty of the future. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. A week has now gone. And what's interesting is the disciples are still behind locked doors. But Thomas is with them this time. And once again, Jesus appears to them. How did he get through? He walked through the wall. That's a different sermon. And he greets them again with the same greeting that he greeted them last week. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then he automatically turns to Thomas. And he sees Thomas and he says, Thomas, have a look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. Put your finger through here. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus knew the heart of Thomas. And he addressed, he addressed Thomas where he was. Verse 28. Thomas said to him, <coughs> My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas' response is immediate and life-changing. Declaration, my Lord and my God. The doubt was gone and was replaced with life-changing certainty. And Jesus adds a blessing to those who have not seen him and yet believed. And that would be you and I. 
We're blessed because we believe. Now, there are two major things that we see from this story that we'd like to address from Scripture. The first one is this. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt is not a sin. You know, so many times I've heard when people talk about doubt, if you doubt, it means you don't believe. If you doubt, you're questioning your faith. And you know what? Doubt is real. Doubt is real. And for some people, it's more real. I have not... uh, I struggle to meet anyone that has been walking in their journey with Jesus that has never doubted what they believe. Uh, When I was young, I think in uni, the one story that I just couldn't believe, I know this is going to sound funny, but Jonah. And the one thing that I just, I couldn't get was, how did this big fish or this big whale eat this man and not let the stomach juices of the whale eat that man up inside. I know it sounds silly, but some of your doubts are like that too. I was speaking with a friend on the phone just before this sermon, and he said doubt has been a part of his faith. There's two types of doubt. Firstly, there's a doubt that doesn't care. They have people who have doubt, but they have no real intention to try to overcome those doubts. Actually, people use those doubts as an excuse to not believe God. Well, I doubt this. I don't believe this. Therefore, I'm not going to pursue God. I'm not going to go to God, which means I'm going to do whatever I want. For people who have this doubt, they use it. They use it as an excuse to walk away from God. But there's a second type of doubt. A second type of doubt that says, I'm desperate to believe. I want to believe. I want to believe so bad. But there are just things that continue to puzzle my mind. There are things that I don't completely understand and and, and cannot completely comprehend. But I want to believe. This type of doubt is the wrestle because you want to believe. You want that certainty, but for whatever reason, something is holding you back. What kind of doubt do you think Thomas had? What kind of doubt do you think Thomas was struggling with? I think Thomas was struggling with the second type of doubt because he wanted to believe. When his fellow disciples told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. I think Thomas wanted to believe that with all of his heart because he loved Jesus. He wanted to be there. He wanted to have seen Jesus. But he hadn't. And there was just something that was holding him back. And he wanted to believe and he wanted to believe. And so he came to a point where, no, I want to believe, but I just have to see him. I just have to see it for myself. It just shows how deeply invested Thomas was into his relationship with Jesus, that he wanted to confirm it for himself. And this is just where Thomas was at. 
It's not like he dismissed the other disciples and he just went on with life. It's not like he took that doubt and then just walked away from God. And we see that because the second time the disciples are met with Jesus, he's there with them. No, he, he wasn't walking away because of this doubt, but he was drawing closer. Let me ask you, have you ever doubted? You ever doubted your faith? You ever doubted what you believe? You know, even right now, as I said, in this crazy season that we're living in, people are dying, people are losing jobs, people are losing money. It's natural for you to ask questions, the big questions. If God is so loving, why are so many people dying? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why can't I overcome my addiction? Is God really there? Friends, having doubt is not a sin. Having doubt is not a sin as long as it continues to draw you towards God. A desire to overcome those doubts because you love God. Now, indifference is a sin. If at that point when you question God and then you choose to act upon that doubt and walk away from God, well, you become indifferent and then you just don't care. But friends, doubt, doubt in itself is not a sin. The second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus meets us where we are. Now, what does Jesus do with doubting Thomas? Jesus meets him in the room and gives Thomas exactly what Thomas needed. Did Jesus need to do that? No, he didn't. He didn't need to prove to Thomas. He didn't need to prove and show Thomas what Thomas lacked. But he did it because that's how Jesus met Thomas, where Thomas was at. Did Thomas get in trouble for his doubts? No. Did Jesus scold Thomas? And he doesn't. Jesus meets Thomas in the most gentle manner and shows him the very things that Thomas requested to see. See, friends, in the same way, Jesus will meet you in your doubts. Jesus will meet you where your doubts are in your life. If you've been a Christian long enough, you will find out that each season you go through, there are different challenges, there are different areas of faith that need to be built, and then there are different areas of doubt. But Jesus doesn't scold us. You know, when we come to places where we question or even express our frustration or our doubts, Jesus doesn't yell at us like, why don't you have faith? Why aren't you like this? You've been doing this for 20 years. No, Jesus gently meets us where we're at. He meets us where we're at. He meets us so that we can see him, we can believe him, and that we can be saved once again. And that's the whole message of the gospel, that God came down to us 
God met us where we were at, and he does that even amongst our doubts and our questions. And he does this because he loves us and wants us to believe him without restriction. One writer says, those who doubt most and yet strive to overcome their doubts turn out to be some of Christ's strongest disciples. And this is the case with Thomas. History will tell us that Thomas from that point took the gospel and he took it to the land of India, from Jerusalem all the way to India, and was killed in India sharing the good news of Jesus. You think Thomas would have ever forgotten that experience with Jesus? That moment where Jesus met him, where Jesus showed him his hands, hey, put your finger through, put your finger through. That would have been a life-changing experience for Thomas. That makes all the difference. Let me ask you tonight, what are some of the doubts that you have in your life? What are some of the things that are stopping you from believing or questioning from committing? We all have them. Can I just say we all have them? No one is immune to doubt. There are so many times in my own personal journey where I doubt who God is, what God's doing. So I'd love to, I'd love to say that I'm like Superman and I've never doubted the, the goodness of God, but I've been there. And I'm seasons of up and down. See, some people have issues with things like science and faith. Some people have issues with things like the authority of Scripture. Some people have issues with an invisible God. Some people have doubts about the person of Jesus. And some people have doubts about the church. It's all different. We all struggle with different things. We all struggle with different doubts. But Jesus meets you where you're at. How does one move from doubt to faith? How does one move from doubt to being in a state of doubt to being in a state of belief? In the same way you move from spiritual death to life, you've got to let Jesus meet you where you're at. You've got to let the grace of Jesus meet you. The same grace that says, I know your doubts, I've heard your questions, let me walk with you. Let me talk with you. Let me converse with you. Let me meet you. Let me help you understand. Now, this is an angry Jesus. This is a frustrated Jesus. This is loving Jesus, caring Jesus, gentle Jesus who wants to meet you and wants to take you on this journey. Now, for some people, like Thomas, it just takes one and that's it. He's done, transformed. But for some people, those doubts and those struggles will continue. And, and for some people, it's a lifelong journey. But Jesus is willing and wanting to walk with you. Sometimes we just want the answers. But Jesus is the answer. Sometimes we want something instant. 
And sometimes Jesus gives us that instant faith, but actually for many of us, it's a journey. Reality is, wherever you are and whatever you're struggling with, Jesus will meet you there. Sometimes we think that we can find all the answers, and once we have all the answers, that we'll fully believe, and there'll never be an ounce of doubt in the world. But think about this. If you think that all the answers could have been found, someone would have found them, right? 2,000 years since Jesus resurrected, someone would have worked out the the truth and, and, and by now would have shared it with everyone. But maybe that didn't happen because maybe not all the answers that we're looking for are found on earth but actually come from heaven. How do we have access to Jesus? How do we have access to this transforming agent that can take our doubt into belief? It's actually very simple. You just have to ask for it in prayer. You just have to ask for it have to ask Jesus to come and journey with you. You think that God will be angry at you for questioning him? You think God will be disappointed? You think God will be frustrated because you don't believe? No, God loves you. He loves you. And and like any patient father, is willing to walk you through the whole process side by side. So ask. Tell God what you're frustrated about. Tell God what you struggle with. But don't, you know, cross your arms and, God, you need to give me these answers or I'm going to walk away. No, no. Ask him in humility. Ask him as you just go deeper in relationship with God. Draw near to him. Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there's this verse and says, Immediately the father, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know what? For some of you, that's the prayer. For some of you, that's the prayer. God, I want to believe. I want to believe, but I just can't. And I've met people like this. They want to believe. They want what the Christian faith has. They want to be able to just be able to embrace that. But for whatever reason, they just can't. So what do you do? How do you go from doubt to belief? Well, you've got to pray. And for some of you, literally, that's the prayer. God, help me believe. God, help me believe. And because our God is good, and because he loves you, in his timing and in his way, he will meet you there. Hebrews 12.2 reads, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Friends, our faith is not built on our words or our actions, but by the person and work of Jesus himself. Friends, God is not insecure, not like you and I. God is secure enough 
to deal with your doubts, with your questions. And he wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to meet you where you're at. You've just got to ask. You've just got to ask. So wherever you're at right now in your faith, whether you're questioning, whether you're struggling, no matter where you're at, let God meet you in that place through his son, Jesus. Let him walk with you. Express your frustrations to him, but let him speak to you. Give him a chance to speak to you. Let him find you in that place of doubt. Let him show you his hands and his feet that you would see, believe, and be saved. Let's pray.